0: Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpin' Radio. This week, we learned about a controversial program to take over the city's divi bikes, talked pro wrestling with Yolo Cali, and learned about Chicago's storefront plays. All this, plus Size Matters, Are We Cool Yet?, and The Trump Diaries, all only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for April 19th, 2019. Mario Smith chatted with Tim Jones, the head of Leave No Potential on the Table. Jones disclosed how Uber and Lyft's bids to take over the city of Chicago's Divi Bikes program is leaving the south and west sides out of the equation and why the bids might be bad business in the first place. News from the service entrance airs every Thursday at 2 p.m.
1: Joining me on the phone right now is, uh, after much consternation, and and I apologize again, Tim, Uh, Tim Jones is joining us. Tim is the executive director. Let me get the information correct. I don't want Mary Datcher to beat me up uh where is it okay tim are you there yes sir okay cool tim introduce yourself to the people as i get my notes
2: because
1: <laughs> i'm today is just a bad day for radio
2: sure no problem thank you for making time for me today i'm figuring everything out my name is tim jones um, i leave a, lead a movement called leave no potential on the table mm. um, that's that's concerned about um equity um, in the city of Chicago, uh, particularly in black and brown neighborhoods.
1: We um a couple of weeks ago, you guys had a press conference at uh, in City Hall, um, regarding the Divvy bikes. And I want to make sure that I've got the information right. Uber owns the Divis or Lyft owns the Divi company? Uh, Lyft owns the Divi, Divi company. Okay, and the part of this, uh, and I don't, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth but um, Jump is another company that is owned by Uber that also has bikes similar to Divi Um, and they offered to put what was it 30,000 bikes in Chicago by May of this year on the south and west side and Divi is trying I mean yeah Divi slash Lyft they're trying to stop that from happening well no Divi is
2: just doing what they do. They're a business entity trying to maximize revenue uh, like every other um, corporation. The problem is the city is doing city stuff. Um, So in uh, December of 2018, um, Uber Jump put a uh, proposal, a $450 million proposal on the desk uh, of leadership in City Hall. Uh, For whatever reason, that proposal was ignored. And then just last month, the city accepted a non, um, no-bid exclusive, exclusive deal with Lyft um, and Divi, which means that they would it would cancel out anybody else who wanted to get in the game. And so one of the things that I do is I, I pay attention to issues of equity and equality across the city, and this one just didn't appear right to me. Um, if you look at both deals, on paper in front of you, the uh, Uber jump deal was $450 million, um, $60 million over five years of community investment, $30 million over five years of infrastructure investment, 500 jobs um, compared to a $200 million deal, 200 jobs. And then the execution, you know, those bikes won't even get to black and brown neighborhoods until 2021 under this lift deal. So to me, I was like, hey, we, we always have issues of equity in our in our neighborhood, in this city. You know, for whatever reason, black and brown neighborhoods are denied the honor of having options. Hmm. Uh, where we, it's where we get the language of food deserts and fitness deserts. And I was just wondering, why wouldn't the city take both deals? Right. I don't care which, which horse they go to. Let's find the largest, most equitable deal and drop it on the south and west side, and I don't care what we're talking about—economics, housing, bike sharing, uh, grocery. Yeah. So that's what I, thats what we came in at. It
1: would—it would seem like it would be in the best interest of the city to probably look at both of those deals, but it's a, this is also part of this. Uh, Scorched earth policy that Rahm Emanuel seems to be enacting on his way out, just passing as much stuff as he can with this lame duck city council and lame duck mayor. And this is part of it. Is it in the best interest of um, the citizens of the city? To really look at this for what it is, this is this seems like more of what we've witnessed for the last eight years. People aren't really being consulted about these kind of things, and then this pops up, and you're like, "Well, when did this? When did all this start?" I mean, what what exactly should we be doing in, in relation to this deal or n- non deal, as it were?
2: <laughs> you know what? Um, yesterday it passed. It passed in city council uh, unanimously. It passed the day before in the transportation committee. You know, this is something that's been baked, fully baked, long before our eyes ever got on it in in regards to just the public. You know, this was a deal, again, that was just fully baked, and it was going to make it through um, By come hell or high water, eerily similar to other deals in our city's past you know, i.e. the parking meter deal in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, eerily similar to what the uh, the settlement that they made with Laquan McDonald's family, mm-hmm. this, this expeditious, irrational pursuit to just get it done, and then we'll, we'll deal with the public later, the constituents later. Kyla?
3: Um, so how is this actually going to impact the south and west sides. I'm curious because the Divi um, portals or whatever they're called, stations, they're very few and far between. Um, How how is this new situation going to improve access for um, our residents? Well,
2: it's it's about 15 wards that don't have, you know, where Divvy isn't as accessible as it is on the north side. You know, mm-hmm. Divi came to town in 2015. And really, I guess the business plan was really just outlined for those affluent communities. I mean, if you look on the website of Divi, the neighborhood that they even suggest for you to ride your Divvy through don't include any black or brown neighborhoods. So it's pretty clear that their business plan never included black and brown neighborhoods. And then, again, once they got here, they're like, you know what? There's some other people living in this city hmm. outside of white affluent Chicagoans. Weird. And let, and let scramble to figure it out. And mm-hmm. that's what they've been doing since 2015 is scrambling to figure it out. But to answer your question, those bikes wouldn't even, make again, make it to those 15 wards until 2021. So if you're doing the math, you get here in 2015, you don't fully uh, spread yourself out to the entire city until 2021. What type of business model is this? <laughs> it
3: sounds like a class action lawsuit waiting to happen.
1: But Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, and I was just going to throw in Uber and Lyft are losing money, like billions of dollars. How are they going to see this deal out? How do they actually cover whatever they say they want to do?
2: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that they're trying to make as like a sister organization to the uh, city, kind of like CTA, and, you know, they want the, the bike sharing system to operate like that where they can align them all and all of that. But here's the thing. In the next nine years, this is a nine-year deal, again, that blocks anybody from getting in. I don't care who you are. It could be Mario Smith ride-sharing company. You ain't getting in. Because it's is a nine-year monopoly that the city has signed mm. over with there. And God forbid a BP-like or a Boeing-like crisis takes place. Mm. We in the jam, if it, it takes place with Lyft, the city will be in the jam. Taxpayers will be in the jam because there's nobody else that can come in and compete.
3: Right. Wow. So there's exclusivity. Um, so but we do think there's going to be additional reach. Um, do you, has there been any studies done demonstrating a need or a desire for um, bike sharing companies on the west and south sides?
2: I, I think the study um, is in the economics, is that people need to be put to work. This, was, this is 500 jobs that we left on the table, potential loss. Um, on the table for these particular neighborhoods, mm-hmm. it was, um, uh, and that's what I think the studies back up is that the, the uh, black and brown neighborhoods need to be stimulated financially, and you do that through jobs. Mm-hmm. This was going to bring jobs. As far as the demand, you know, that's probably outside of my expertise. Was there a demand for the bike sharing? I do know there's a demand for jobs in my family. It is mm. my friend's family in my neighborhood.
3: Right. And so at this point, um, I was just telling Mario, before you got on the line, I hate these bikers <laughs> on the street and I wanna yeah. run them all down. So. You, you can't run them down. I'm gonna down. run them down. Like, I don't, I'm gonna I'm a put on a cape, no, you can't, a cloak, you can't. and a mask, <laughs> oh, and I'm just gonna start God. bowling people over, so.
1: And then I'll uh, never have you on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tragic.
3: Um but i i like um what you were saying about your organization in terms of is making uh, establishing equity mm-hmm. are there other projects that you're working on um that you'd like to share
2: so this is we kind of move in because i hate bikes
3: Please. did i did i say that i can't stand these bikes? i don't know if yeah, I, you know, I was clear
2: you're I was pretty clear no, you, yeah crystal clear on my <laughs> thanks pretty clear uh so we, we're, we're pretty silent in how we move. We mobilize and galvanize people around issues that, you know, they just don't know about. Um, mm-hmm. We were the first group to really bring to attention uh National Teachers Academy situation, mm-hmm. um, shined a big light on those parents, students, and teachers, and we got a chance to celebrate that victory late last year. Um, you know, we just brought to attention folks this, this, two billion dollar or so deal that was passed yesterday was probably one of the biggest days in city council in the history of chicago right it was it was so big that um one of the deals that was brokered yesterday will add a 78th neighborhood to the city of chicago Whoa.
1: right what's the name of it going to be
2: right now it's called 78 okay.
1: right. no we gotta change that they get marioville Wow.
2: Marioville. Why
1: not? Like Pottersville? Yeah. Like when. when I'll see you. Merry Christmas (laughs) to you too. In jail. (laughs) And Marioville. Yeah. It's about time. That's, you know, in the the midst of the whole thing with Lincoln Yards and the 78. The 78 part I get because that's a new neighborhood you're introducing to the city and more chances for opportunities for people to live and work and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's land all over Chicago that is uh, livable as far as I know. We don't, we're, not, we're not in the south suburbs like where there's a Ford Heights that goes literally from one block to the next, where it's kind of like, how are you living here? Mm-hmm. They, I will, I'm, I'm, I'm a political novice. I will never understand ever how some things on the north side of Chicago are the greatest, but trying to open up a cop facility in old South Shore High School is somehow also great.
3: Dun, dun,
1: dun. And, 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 on, and it just it boggles my mind. Listen, Tim. You've got my number. Let me know if you ever want to come on and talk about something, brother. I, I would love to have you on. I like the idea of somebody out there looking out. And uh, it, 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 it it's kind of rare these days that people are really being wa- real watchdogs and really keeping an eye on things. But again, you got my number. You let me know when you'd like to come on and talk about something. And I absolutely will make that happen.
2: Brother Mario, I appreciate that. Thank you for the time today. Just going to continue to fight for equity and opportunity um, on a variety of issues.
0: The students of Yolo Cali, Alex, Sebastian, and Camila spoke with Matt Nix, a professional wrestler on the underground circuit. Nix talked about the growth of underground wrestling, what drew him to the sport, and his wildest moment in the ring. It involved the latter. Yolo Cali presents What's Up every Saturday at noon.
4: Um, so we have our special guest, Matt Nix, we're to be interviewing with. And nice to meet you, Matt Nix, by the way.
5: Nice to meet you as well.
4: Uh, so I've got a few questions for you. Um, my first question is, So your name is Matt Nix. What inspired you to come up with the name and the character of Matt Nix?
5: So funny thing about the name is uh, back when I was probably like 14 years old, uh, me and a lot of my friends used to do backyard wrestling. And my backyard wrestling name originally was The Pitbull 3. (laughs) Uh, Super ominous. And uh, we just kind of like, we're all hanging out one day and we're like, that's not a really good name. You need to like, figure something else out. And uh, at the time I was reading, I had like a magazine that was like all the, you know, all my favorite wrestlers in it. And it kind of said like, oh, this is what their real names are. And uh, and I looked at like Shawn Michaels and his, his name is Michael Shawn Hickenbottom is his real name. And I kind of looked at that and I took my, my actual name, Nicholas Matthew Almendariz. And I just kind of did the same thing where I took my middle name, made it my first name, my first name and made it my last name. And, uh, you know, just kind of added the K and the S on there for aesthetics. So it looks better. And and as far as the character of Matt Nix, it's really I mean, it's kind of cliche to say it's just me amped up to 11. But it really is kind of just me amped up to 11. And uh, I think that's kind of the most genuine kind of character is just something that's like just an extension of yourself and like when I'm out there just goofing around and having fun, the crowd can see that. And like they they're like, OK, this guy's you know, this is this is what he's all about. So that's pretty much what my, my character <laughs> is, I guess.
4: Um, So from like footage I've seen on Instagram, um, I'm guessing you're like a baby face, good guy kind of sort of thing. Have you thought about like maybe like turning heel at some point or becoming a bad guy?
5: Um, It, it actually really kind of depends like where like where I'm at specifically. But a lot of time like I find like whenever I'm like promoting a show or uh just kind of like talking smack with somebody on twitter, uh I feel like I always end up kind of like coming off more of like a heel and uh I think it's just like that's just who I am like I'm just you know very like my my character is a little bit more cockier than than I am in real life but um but yeah, I think definitely more i think what i h- how I portray myself is a little bit more lovable than uh than hateable
4: okay, that's cool. <laughs> Um, so you wrestled a number of companies. Some freelance wrestling, um, evolved in CCW. From what I've seen uh, on your res- wrestling register mm-hmm. on internet, uh, you also wrestled around the states and in Mexico and in Europe. Is there a difference between the audiences, like, like with different countries or like different companies? Like, is there a difference with the audience? Like, what's the audience like?
5: Um, there's definitely uh, you notice differences in the United States itself, mm-hmm. like in bigger cities. A lot of the crowds are more uh, what they call like smart marquee crowds, where like they're just we're here to see good, re- like we're here to see the guys do their spots, and like we like this guy and the guys that are cool on the internet. Um, but whereas you travel into more rural locations, these people are more just like uh, we want to see this guy, you know, fight him, get him, uh, kick his butt. You know, they they're more of like an, like a traditional old school wrestling crowd, which I think is way more fun to 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 wrestle in front of um, because they they just get so into it uh in in mexico it's like they they're insane <laughs> they're just like uh they're throwing stuff at you like even if they like you, they're throwing stuff at you uh screaming like uh I had so many like girls come up to me like a- as I'm like coming to the ring, like handing me their phones and being like oh like facebook facebook like <laughs> it's cra- like you know, it's a whole other world um and then like england uh is just very traditional as well and and they just like they just appreciate wrestling.
4: They, ser- they seem like, I feel like people in England are like a very rough crowd. Um, are they kind of like a rough crowd like compared to Chicago?
5: Um, Yeah, it's, it's very similar, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I mean, there's definitely some, I've experienced a couple rowdy crowds here in Chicago, uh, n- maybe not as bad in the UK. <laughs> uh,
4: what are the lessons you learned in your career, like, in these, like wrestling in different countries and le- wrestling different stages did you learn in like any new wrestling like lessons and,
5: and or uh new moves or wrestling styles um one one of the biggest things this is one of the first things you learn when you get into wrestling is ears open mouth shut and that is probably the biggest thing that i could say to, to anybody like when you go, when you go anywhere like when i went to england when i went to mexico i just Listened and like, you know, even if it's somebody who's like wrestling Mm -hmm. less than me or like, you know They were just a rookie but like something that they could say Maybe I could take one little piece of advice from them that I could apply to myself to help me be better And I think that it's it's important that you could you can always learn something from somebody
4: Do you have any like travel stories like small little travel stories? Um, Like funny or serious? Um, (laughs)
5: Let me think. Uh, So when we went to uh, When I went to the UK I, uh, I was there for two weeks, uh, with, with, uh, a couple of wrestlers from the Chicago area. And then I was there for a week by myself. And I kind of just like, I, I knew I have friends that live out there. So they were kind of like, Oh, here, you can stay with this guy. And I thought it was somebody he knew. Uh, but it was just like, it was more like, Oh, just a guy he knew, but like not somebody he was friends with. So I just stayed at this guy's house for like a couple days And thinking, like, oh, these guys are great buddies. And in truth be told, it was just some guy that he knew. (laughs) But they were, like, they were super awesome. Like, I still keep in touch with them now. Um, uh, They were really great.
4: Um, So you won tag team titles with Chris Chris Castro and Kenny and Tyler. What was your experience winning a championship belt for the first time?
5: Uh, It's it's definitely, like... A, a little bit surreal, like you know, growing as growing up as a wrestling fan, you always dream about like, you know wrestling, but mm-hmm. also winning titles, and uh, and it's kind of funny. So the first the first title that I ever won was the Dreamway Wrestling Tag Team Titles with Tyler Priegel. and we weren't even supposed to win. They accidentally had our name circled on the on the the run sheet that told said who was going to be winning the match, and so we won, and the the owner was just like what the heck? Like, how did this happen? Like, <laughs> all right, I guess we'll just go with it. And he, because he, our, our genuine reaction for when we won and how the crowd reacted with it, he was like, hey, man, that was pretty good. Like, I guess we'll just see how this goes. And so it's, it's just kind of appropriate, I think, for, for me that like, oh, my first time was by mistake.
4: <laughs> uh, who'd you win it against? Like, who'd you? Um,
5: um They were, I believe it was, the a tag team down there called the Beck family. Okay. And I think it was Waylon and Bobby Houston, I believe. I, it was a long time ago. I think it was like 2012,
4: 2013. Okay. And uh, so, yo, it's been nine years for your... So, you had a nine-year career, like, pretty much. Like, you've been wrestling the past nine years?
5: Yeah, it's it Yeah, it was nine years uh, this past March. Like, okay. Like, the beginning of March was uh, the anniversary of my first match.
4: It's almost a decade.
5: <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, so, are you interested in going after, like, single titles, like... Make card titles or main event titles.
5: Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's always aspirations to kind of be a you know a, a, the top guy at a company or something like that. Um, it's not something that I'm like I need to do this. Uh, I'm more you know just you know I just want to have fun and just I just want to wrestle everywhere. I want to have fun. Uh, if I win titles on, along the way, so be it. If not, it's okay too.
4: Okay, and um, so. What are the lessons you learned in the last nine years of your career from the sacrifices, the injuries, and putting in the hours upon hours of training? What is the difference between day one Matt Nix and today's Matt Nix?
5: You have to learn to be a little cynical. You have to learn to... You have to learn that not everyone is looking out for your best interests as you think they would be. Uh, You kind of have to... You know, be be open to other people, but also just kind of be leery and uh, just never take no for an answer. Just always, you know, just try to push yourself to, to, to get to that next level, because whenever you think that you can't do it, the moment that, you know, you actually believe that is when you're done.
4: OK, wow. Um, so. There are many people out there who think, you know, pro wrestling is fake. But what would you t- want to tell those people? Would you want to tell those people? Like, no, it's not fake.
0: or?
5: Uh, it's definitely not fake. Fake is the furthest word I would actually use for it. But, uh, you know, it's no secret that the, you know, that wrestling is a predetermined thing. You know, mm-hmm. we, we know going, like I, I don't, oh, most of the time, don't hate the person that I'm wrestling. Uh, you know, we're not going out there with the intent to actually injure each other but I mean, every like strike that we do, every slam, you know, every time somebody gets hit with a chair, that's all hundred percent real. Like you can't, you can't fake that. Uh, like I showed you the clip earlier when I got thrown off the top rope and you know, that was very, it could have been very bad the way I landed, but like, thankfully I was okay. But that was a real fall that I took, you know, the, the risks that we take are very real.
4: Okay. And, um, and I, I remember like a CM Punk set, like Um, for wrestling, like, it's not about injuring, it's not about hurting the other person, it's about entertainment, it's about entertaining the crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's what, like, really interests me, like, with wrestlers, like, they're not there to hurt each other, they're just there to make a show, and to take care of each other during a match. So, um, were there any, like, reckless wrestlers you wrestled against, like, who, like, did moves, like, Um, purposely to hurt you, or, like... You felt like, in the match, you felt like your career was, like, in danger?
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely. I mean, the thing, a lot of times, too, with, with guys that are, like, you know, quote-unquote reckless in the ring, they're not doing it on purpose. They just either weren't trained the right way, or they just, like, you know, you, you always hear people, like, not being aware of their own strength. Uh, it happens sometimes. You know, I've I've definitely been punched in the face, like, for real, oh, like, wow. and just, like, you, you, get, you give them, like, one or two, just as, like, okay, okay. And then, you know, we what we call it is giving them a receipt. So, like, if the guy, like, let's say a guy hits me for real, like, a couple times, and then I'll just smoke him back and then just be like, hey, man, like, take it easy. Like, we're, we're working together here. Yeah.
1: Size matters, size matters, Smith
6: Kyle, size matters. the truck happened to me. Okay, oh, okay, okay, I admit it. I may uh, have dosed Kyle huh? with an experimental hallucination. What? I mean, they just like, just, like, leave it laying around at UIC. It's like a flowers in the attic thing.
7: You need flowers for algae. Oh, the brain bubbles. Oh, Your brain bubbles can make us a fortune. We're wasting it on a guy who lives in our basement. What about oh, Kyle's God, stuff, he doesn't look so Yeah, the hangover from this stuff
6: is brutal. But, whatever, Kyle will be fine. Hangover, hangover. from this stuff he is bring over from this stuff is Hangover from this stuff is bring Hangover from this stuff is hangover. hangover from this stuff is Hangover <laughs> uh, from this stuff is Hey, how's my rock star buddy do- Oh, bad. Oh, it's the brain bubbles you gots me. My head's too small for all them bubbly thoughts. Hey, that's okay. I uh, guess I shouldn't have put that stuff in your flask anyway. I'm sorry, it's just... I knows you wanted me to be the mayor. I, I let you down. I'm oh, sorry. you did pretty good, Kyle. I did? Yeah, you came in first. Check it out! Huh? What's... What?
1: shocked i'm almost speechless mario you can't be jamie this is radio Kowski is on course to be the next mayor of Chicago. What does this mean for
7: Chicago?
6: I won. So you though, I did. I won. You did. I'm the mayor now. No, you're not. Is what and the? And it's
7: f- one of the great election night fiascos here in a city known for them. Seismenkowski has been struck off the ballot for failing to have the required number of signatures.
1: Yeah, challenges from Craig Winkle and Lightfoot have been upheld, and it looks like Craig Winkle is taking the stage. She's in the runoff. Against Lightfoot! What a result! Do we even an account on how many
7: signatures Seismikowski had? It, it appears he had no signatures at all. None. No signatures? That's an incredible oversight by Kyle's campaign. <laughs> yes, well, I think
1: his campaign was just one lady and experimental hallucinogens. Nonetheless, it set Chicago up for an historic run. Uh,
6: so what now? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I thought needing 25,000 signatures was a gag. You know, that they played on new campaign managers? I mean, who even knows 25,000 people? That's insane. Ah, uh, it's okay, Jess. I know you did your best. Uh, sure. And, you know, it's not a total loss. Uh, what do you mean? Well, your win set you up for a whole host of opportunities. Your flip phone's been ringing off the hook. Yeah, like what? Uh, apparently, they need a few people around city council that don't draw too much attention. I don't know. They got food down there? They do. And as your manager, I made sure they're going to give you three squares and your own chair. Yes, that's great. What do I got to do? Nothing much. Just keep your mouth shut and hit a little green button every now and again. Do you mind putting this microphone in your jacket pocket? Not at all. We're going to be taping my life story again. Some like that, yeah. I mean, the job's probably temporary, but who the heck knows? It's Chicago. What's my job again? Uh... Technically, you'll be Alderman of Little Village. I'm an Alderman? Yes. Yes, you are.
7: This week on The Trump Diaries, William Barr defends Trump and claims without offering evidence that Obama spied on the Trump campaign. Trump attacks a Muslim congresswoman, leading to death threats. Trump ties to Trump immigrants in sanctuary cities. And the full Mueller report is now out. Trump calls it the end of his presidency. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 812, April 11th. Attorney General William Barr alleged without offering evidence that the Trump campaign had been spied upon. Trump has accused the FBI of using their power to sabotage the president. Barr later walked some of his statements back. That statement drew an incredulous response from Congress, who noted his talking points parroted debunked claims made by Trump. Nancy Pelosi said pointedly, I don't trust William Barr. Trump claimed the Mueller investigation was, quote, an attempted coup. Trump also accused the probe of being started illegally and claimed every single thing about it was crooked. Federal investigators in New York have gathered more evidence than previously known from Trump's inner circle about the hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, both who claim they had affairs with Trump. Prosecutors interviewed Hope Hicks and Keith Schiller and have a recorded phone conversation between ex-lawyer Michael Cohen and a lawyer who represented the two women. Trump's administration is to dismantle the Office of Personnel Management, the agency that oversees the federal government's civil service. An executive order directing parts of the transition by the fall is in the final stages of review. The House voted to revive net neutrality regulations, which ban broadband providers from blocking or throttling internet traffic. The legislation is likely to fail in the GOP-controlled Senate, however. And Trump is floating nominating the former head of an anti-immigration group to lead Citizenship and Immigration Services. Julie Kirshner previously led the Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, which has been labeled as a hate group by Southern Poverty Law. Kirshner's group supported eugenics and organized campaigns against non-white immigrants. Day 813, April 12th, in a stunning move, Ecuador revoked Julian Assange's citizenship, allowing British police to enter their embassy in London and arrest him. The USA has charged Assange with conspiracy to hack a classified Defense Department computer and filed an extradition request over allegations he agreed to help former military analyst Chelsea Manning crack a password on a DOD computer. That resulted in what the Justice Department called, quote, one of the largest compromises of classified information in the history of the United States. Assange is facing up to five years in prison. Assange's arrest is also related to WikiLeaks' release of thousands of emails stolen from the Democratic National Committee and from Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman John Podesta. That hack was orchestrated by Russia after Trump publicly called for them to hack Clinton's emails. The conspiracy charge against Assange, however, is not related to Robert Mueller's investigation. When told of Assange's arrest, Trump said, quote, I know nothing about WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is not my thing. In fact, 140 times during the campaign, Trump said, quote, I love WikiLeaks, for leaking the DNC Clinton emails. A former Obama White House counsel was charged with lying to the Justice Department about work he did in 2012 with Paul Manafort for Ukraine. Gregory Craig has pled not guilty, but his former firm Skadden, Arps, Slate, Meager and Flom paid $4.6 million to avoid prosecution and agreed to retroactively register as a lobbyist for a foreign government. The Treasury Department missed the deadline set by Democrats to hand over Trump's tax returns. Defense Secretary Stephen Mnuchin says he has serious issues with the request for six years of Trump's personal and some business returns. Trump flatly requested the request, telling reporters, quote, I won't do it. House Democrats responded by setting a new deadline of April 23rd and saying that Mnuchin's response was not credible or believable, setting up what would appear to be a court battle. Sarah Huckabee Sanders subsequently claimed that members of Congress aren't, quote, smart enough to understand Trump's tax returns. Day 814, April 13th, Trump city is giving strong consideration to releasing detained undocumented immigrants in Democratic sanctuary cities, suggesting it should make, quote, liberals very happy because of their immigration policies. Former DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen rejected the plan because it is illegal. However, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said her city would be happy to receive migrant families. Stephen Miller reportedly wants to create 10 cities at the border to house migrants and detain migrant children beyond the 20-day limit imposed by a federal judge. The goal is to force migrant parents to choose between splitting from their children or remaining together indefinitely in detention. Trump also discussed whether or not the military could be used to build those cities. When told the military could not be used because the U.S. law prohibits the military from directly interacting with migrants, Trump complained the laws are, quote, horrible laws the Democrats won't change. Trump apparently also promised to pardon the Customs and Border Protection Commissioner if he were sent to jail for blocking asylum seekers from entering the U.S. in defiance of U.S. law. In a related story, the Justice Department is reviving a Bush-era regulation, allowing appellate immigration judges to issue binding rulings on the entire immigration system while only a minority of appeals judges participate. Formerly, the appeals board could only declare a binding precedent if a majority of permanent sitting judges voted to do so. This is a transparent attempt to alter immigration laws, making it end run around Congress. And Trump said he was going to nominate daughter Ivanka Trump to head the World Bank because, quote, she's very good with numbers. Trump, however, said he decided against it because people, quote, would have complained about nepotism when it has nothing to do with nepotism. Day 115, April 14th. Representative Ilhan Omar says she faced death threats since Trump spread around a video that purports to show her being dismissive of 2001 terrorist attacks in the United States. That video has been selectively edited to misrepresent the Congresswoman's statements. Nancy Pelosi said she has taken steps to ensure the safety of the Minnesota Democrat. Trump had pinned his tweet to the top of his feed. Trump signed two executive orders to speed up construction of oil and gas pipelines. One order directed the EPA to make it more difficult for states to invoke provisions in the Clean Water Act to slow pipeline construction. The other transferred authority for approving the construction of internal pipelines from the Secretary of State to the President. Both orders are to be challenged in court by the Sierra Club. Trump claimed falsely he had, quote, the absolute legal right to ship illegal immigrants to democratically controlled sanctuary cities in the USA. In fact, Congress would have to authorize such a move as they control the power of the purse and Trump's sister suddenly retired as a federal judge to end an investigation into whether she violated judicial rules by participating in fraudulent tax schemes with her siblings. An investigation that found that Marianne Trump Barry benefited financially from many of her tax schemes while she was also in a position to influence actions taken by her family. Barry hadn't heard a case in more than two years. The House Oversight Committee issued what is known as a friendly subpoena to the accounting firm that prepared several years worth of Trump's financial statements. Mazars USA told the committee it would comply but required the subpoena to waive client privilege. Trump's lawyers immediately threatened Mazars with legal action claiming the Democrats were quote, conducting a politically motivated investigation. And lawyer Michael Avenetti was indicted on 36 counts of fraud, perjury, failure to pay taxes, embezzlement and other financial crimes. In one case, it is alleged he stole money from a coffee shop's tax roll to fund a race team. Avenetti faces a potential 335 years in prison for an alleged scheme to defraud five clients since 2015. He maintains his innocence. 816 April 15th. Sarah Huckabee Sanders said the administration was quote looking to see if there are options to make Trump's proposal to ship illegal immigrants into Democrat sanctuary cities legally viable, saying it is an option on the table, saying the president likes the idea and Democrats have said they want these individuals into their communities, so let's see if it works and everybody gets a win out of it. Claiming that Democrats have stated time and time again they support open borders and they support sanctuary cities, Sanders added we should spread out the burden. Those words chillingly evoke statements made during the Jim Crow era and the civil rights movement when southern politicians said to avoid integration, blacks should be shipped north. Trump tweeted in response to Sanders' statement, quote, we hereby demand that they be taken care of at the highest level, especially by the state of California, which is well known for its poor management and high taxes. Insiders say Trump revived this rejected proposal to, in order to distract from the Mueller report. He has also been attacking a Muslim American congresswoman for the same effect. Former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld said he would challenge Trump for the 2020 Republican nomination. Weld said he would not run as an independent if he lost. And Trump announced he would award Tiger Woods the Presidential Medal of Freedom, tweeting quote, because of his incredible success and comeback in sports, golf, and more importantly, life. Day 817, April 16th. Congressional investigators subpoenaed Trump's longtime lender, Deutsche Bank. They also sent a subpoena to other lenders, J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America. Those subpoenas relate to possible money laundering by people in Russia and or Eastern Europe connected to Trump. Deutsche Bank is the only mainstream bank to have repeatedly lent to Trump, funneling some $2 billion to him despite a checkered history of defaults and non-payments. Trump continued his distraction attacks on Representative Ilhan Omar, telling a Minneapolis ABC affiliate that Congresswoman is, quote, extremely unpatriotic and disrespectful to our country. She is somebody that doesn't really understand, I think, life, real life, what, what it is all about. She's got a way about her that's very, very bad, I think, for our country. Omar has become the subject of death threats. The White House rejected requests for documents about the AT&T Time Warner merger. Trump ordered Gary Cohen to pressure the Justice Department to block AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner, which owns CNN. White House counsel Pat Cipollone cited executive privilege for the denied documents. The Trump administration will resume its Remain in Mexico policy. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned a lower court's ruling to temporarily block the policy from being implemented. Ports of entry in California and Texas are affected. And Trump tweeted about the massive fire at Notre Dame, claiming, quote, perhaps flying water tankers could be used to put it out. Must act quickly. France's civil defense agency responded coldly. The dumping of water by aircraft on this kind of building could actually cause the complete collapse of the structure. Date 118, April 17th. William Barr told immigration judges to deny asylum seekers the opportunity to post bail after being detained. Previously migrants who established a credible fear of persecution or torture in their home country were eligible for bond. Now they could end up being jailed indefinitely. John Bolton gave a speech in which he called Nicaragua, Venezuela and Cuba the three stooges of terror and announced that an Obama-era deal to allow baseball players to avoid dangerous ocean crossings was dead. Saying the Monroe Doctrine was alive and well, Bolton made a clarion call to imperialism across Latin America. In related news, Trump is going to allow lawsuits in American courts against foreign companies that use properties confiscated by Cuba. The European Union has threatened lawsuits against the U.S. at the World Trade Organization in retaliation. Trump ordered thousands of additional troops to the southwest border. 10,000 more armed forces will be deployed over the next few months and Trump vetoed the bipartisan resolution to end American military involvement in the Saudi-led campaign in Yemen. Congress invoked the War Powers Act to stop the conflict. Trump called it, quote, an unnecessary, dangerous attempt to weaken my constitutional authorities. Day 819, April 18th. In a day we have all been waiting for, Robert Mueller's report was made public. In an abrupt and halting press conference, William Barr appeared to signal he was gonna take one for the Trump team, tacitly allowing he believed Trump was too stupid to obstructed justice. Barr sounded more like a defense lawyer, taking pains to stress there was no collusion between the Trump team and Russia and defending his own decision to clear Trump of obstruction of justice based on, quote, his own legal theories. Barr left the stage quickly under withering questioning from reporters. Among the initial revelations from Mueller's report, Mueller found 10 instances in which Trump appeared to have obstructed justice. Mueller found Trump's written answers to questions inadequate. In multiple instances, it appears Trump's legal jeopardy was lessened by staffers who refused to carry out Trump's direct orders. Mueller made it plain that Russia offered help to the Trump campaign and that that campaign was willing and ready to accept it. Finally, the report confirms the veracity of reporting on Trump by multiple outlets. Despite Trump's frequent cries of fake news, the report reveals exactly what many newspapers had already unearthed. Mueller's prosecutors were hamstrung by two facts. Under Department of Justice protocol, sitting presidents cannot be charged with a crime. And because the president has wide latitude in giving orders, nonetheless, Mueller's own summary is damning. Quote, the evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intents presents difficult issues that would need to be resolved if we were making a traditional prosecutorial judgment. At the same time, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts, the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would state that. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. Also, while Barr insisted that Mueller's report found no collusion, which is not a legal term, the report is more nuanced. In a specific example involving WikiLeaks' dump of material, Mueller found the evidence was not strong enough to bring criminal charges. That is not the same as finding no collusion and points to why Mueller pointedly did not exonerate Trump. Mueller said Trump fired FBI Director James Comey for failing to clear his name and then lied about it. The report also confirms that Trump ordered his White House counsel, Donald McGahn, to have Rod Rosenstein fire Mueller. McGahn refused to do so. It is a new detail that Trump called McGahn at home to pressure him. Trump also repeatedly called former Attorney General Jeff Sessions and pressured him to unrecuse himself. One of Trump's aides, George Papadopoulos, explicitly told the Trump team Russia wished to coordinate with them. The Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government it would assist through the anonymous release of information damaging to Hillary Clinton. In return, Paul Manafort set a plan that would have allowed Russia to keep occupied territory it had seized in Ukraine. Trump repeatedly tried to cover up meetings, including directing aides to bury a Russian meeting at Trump Tower. His own aides, including Kate McFarland, told investigators they neither believed nor trusted him. The document's specific redactions are also telling. In a number of cases, Russian contacts with specific Trump staffers are redacted with the notation H-O-M, which stands for harm to an ongoing matter. This means that further indictments could be in the offing as it indicates cases are open. Whole sections involving Michael Cohen, WikiLeaks, Paul Manafort and the Trump campaign are redacted. All in all, the report's release is a watershed moment. Trump himself called the Mueller report, quote, the end of his presidency. Trump became the first president in history never to have commanded a majority favorable rating from Gallup. Trump's approval rating is at 40%. The new poll of Ohio swing voters finds that five of six people voted for Trump would vote for Barack Obama in 2020. Whoever runs against Trump will face steep financial odds. Trump raised $30.3 million in the first quarter of this year, an amount equal to that of Bernie Sanders Kamala Harris combined. Still, nearly 60% of Americans think Trump obstructed justice. These are the Trump Diaries.
0: John Daly spoke with John Hundreiser, John Dombacher, and David McNulty about their new play, Below the Belt. The three Johns, and David, stopped in to chat about the nuts and bolts of starting a production, the power of intimate settings, and the renaissance of Chicago theater. Radio Free airs every Tuesday, Drive Time.
8: We've got three folks from Below the Belt, which will be at the Red Twist Theater May 17th through June 16th we're going to talk about the production happening
7: and uh Is meet that some a porno by the way? B- below the belt? Well, we're going to find out. Is this, <laughs> guys, is this a porno. Are
8: we talking porn you have today? to wait and find out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's so, it about? But, but what does below the belt mean? I mean, that is the grand question that everybody wants to know the answer to. Right. And it actually takes place in a manufacturing factor in a factory so it could be a conveyor belt. Um, But these uh, three characters, um, they're competing with each other oftentimes and uh, with underhanded strategies. So below the belt could, you know, simply mean Hitting them below the belt. Kind
7: of,
9: kind of, there's a lot of hitting
7: it. below the belt in this in yeah, the show. A, a double entendre there. Mm-hmm. A, a boxing metaphor, frankly, actually. Well, yeah, mm-hmm.
9: I, mean, I think there is an actual film called Below the Belt, but that's yeah. not what this is about.
7: Yeah, but it's a play by Richard Dresser, actually, who's written a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm actually have done some of my research on this. I'm not completely winging this one. Uh-huh. But Richard Dresser is a well known American playwright. This is a, a, actually a play that became very popular in the late 90s, am I correct? Yeah. And it's been produced all over the world. And yes. Richard himself, I believe he's been nominated for a Pulitzer as well. I don't believe he's won, but I believe he was nominated for a Pulitzer. So this isn't a play that just came out of nowhere. Correct. Mm-hmm. So what, what drew you to, to performing this play?
8: John, you want to speak to that? Our, our director, this is a, he, he selected this piece, actually. Right. And got us all really excited about it.
10: Yes, I came upon this piece when I was a younger fellow than I am today, um, (laughs) coming up, assisting other directors before becoming one. And I saw this original production and it stuck with me. And of course, what we're doing is finding new events and new things to do with um, the material. You know, finding the underneath finding stuff that hasn't been done with it before.
7: And this was also made into a film, as I recall. Right.
10: Uh, Sundance. I don't.
7: I never saw it. I've got to be honest with you. There was Treat Williams or something in it, I think?
8: I believe so, and it did go to Sundance. It didn't Yeah, it
7: didn't win, yeah. So what? I guess what drew you to this play in particular, though? It, it sounds like a very... Um, macabre play in a way. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. a very it's a very dark play, at least on its surface of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've honestly never seen it. I've read Richard's stuff, but I've never seen this particular play. But this one seems kind of like an almost uh, Waiting for Godot meets Fight Club, and it, it's kind of strange. Yeah. So
10: what drew you guys to that? It's been described as uh, The Office, as if written by Beckett in Orpinter or someone to that extent. Um, I, I think a really good play is about... Unexpressed things, and what we're finding is uh, that there is a, t- a tinge of maliciousness in it. But it's stuff that you are constantly laughing at, you know. And it might not be ha ha jokey Neil Simon, but it's it's very absurd comedy, and it's done like we were David and I. We were talking last night about '60s Batman, the Adam West Burt Ward stuff about how. You have these absurd characters and really wacky costumes, but they play it absolutely serious, absolutely straight, and uh, it's funny. Well, and that's what we
9: keep going back on, forth, back and forth with is, you know, do we really want to take this as a uh, a very serious piece and be stoic, or are we going to be a little bit more like uh, like sitcom ish in a way, you know? Doing a little bit more with our physicality and playing around with that because I think that adds more entertainment value to it. But you know, still comes from an underlying root value of you know who is my character, uh, being the boss of the company, and uh, uh, John and Michael's character who are are the employees and the competition and the rivalry that goes on between all three of us during the the events throughout the show. So. Um, yeah, I think there's a combination of both seriousness and, um, yeah, we don't want to scare
8: people away with how serious it could be. It isn't existential, but it (laughs) is, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean,
10: how did the three of you get together on this, on this production?
8: Well, um, so John and I go way back, uh, 10 years, not as far as you and I go back, but we, uh, we, uh, we met in Los Angeles, I think in probably 2007 and have been Mm -hmm. kind of working together, um you know, on certain projects over the past decade or so, but um, I think we, you know, we, we've done some growing up, and uh, we both found ourselves back in Chicago, and, and the timing was right, and, um, you know, we're really just taking a deep dive on this, and uh, David and I were in a production of The Front Page uh, last year out at the Oil Lamp Theater in Glenview, and, you um, you know, that's where David and I met, and and we became friends, and and John actually came to see us in that show. And our other cast member, who's not here today, Michael Lomanek, was also in the front page. So John and I were, you know, kicking this idea around together about putting this play up, and then he basically said, what about that guy and that guy? And um, we arranged a table read with uh, the four of us, and when we were done with it, I mean, we had a really good time at the table read. Yeah, it was a blast. yeah, that Let's do this. We and everybody red. was on board. and I was sold. That <coughs> was the origin story. Mm-hmm. At that least that's great. the way that I remember it. Do you, do you have a, a
7: different recollection, fellas?
8: No, that's exactly
7: right. Pretty that, much nailed it. That's really interesting because, I mean, I don't think... We've had all, we've had people talking about films and uh, a couple plays before, right? Didn't we have the guys from Theater Ubleck in one time? I don't think we've actually ever asked people how you guys start to put on a play because it's a pretty... I I've always thought of it as a pretty technical and and far reaching sort of thing that that would I would frankly find fairly intimidating and yet I sit here and I, I talk for hours a week on the radio and this is this is fine but the idea well, that Well
8: for us this is yeah, this I mean, is a little intimidating. But oh well, I mean,
7: I'm sorry about that. It's probably the large sign that says "panic" behind you that I've got a <laughs> oh, yeah. flashing neon. I apologize for <laughs> yeah, that, guys. But the no, I mean, I, I think this is really interesting. It's something I've never thought about, and I think our listeners would be really interested. How is it when you guys decide? You guys say, "Oh, we came together. We read this plan. Now we're going to do it." So, what's actually the next step in that? What What then do you do to make this happen in front of an audience? Because I don't think we've ever gone from A to B on that in this show.
10: Well. It, it, uh, of course, it's it's different for different material. Of course, right. I mean, you this know, isn't you, Jesus Christ Superstar, sure. something great like that. Sure, right. yeah, oh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, better, yeah, incredible. Uh, that's a great question. It really depends on what your objective is. You know, if you're looking to do something simply because it hasn't been done before, you could get two guys together in a garage, you know, and and do the thing. Um,
8: which would be, Richard Dresser actually with, did some plays in a
10: car. Yeah, car plays. We actually used, to, I used to do those when I was a teenager. We, that's how you got started in doing wacky things like that. I mean, look at the play Grease that we all know now. That started in a garage in this town, not far from here, actually. And, um,
8: Steppenwolf started in a basement in a uh, Park.
10: You know, s- uh, 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 Mamet's company started in a basement. I mean, all sorts of wonderful things. But uh, to answer your question, you get the rights to it. You um, get the right people, which is m- most of the job yeah. my, my job is getting. The rights
7: are actually fairly easy to get if you've got enough more cash? Less,
10: more or less. Um, it can become difficult. If it's, a, if it's an interesting play that people want to do, mm-hmm. there is actually a bidding war that can occur. Okay. Uh, not too dissimilar from, say, a film you know, getting <coughs> distribution.
7: Oh, like or options on a book or something.
10: Right, Okay, right. People mm-hmm. say, well, my company has X, you know, a thousand seats or something, and so we can charge X amount, and they, you know, you have to pay. You know, everybody's got to get paid. On our level, though, we secure uh, space. We secure um, schedules, which can be difficult. And then uh, you start finding if, People want to throw money on it. If people are interested in helping us out, and are we dual yet? Are we yet? Are we yet? Are we yet? Are we yet? Are we? Yet? Are we through-
11: uh, that is, but I actually let's, let's let's stay on the Cubs for a moment okay. because, um, generally speaking, we 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 meaning the two of us are excluded. You're excluded from this conversation because you don't live in Bridgeport. Um, but we have. We deal with the Sox fans, you know, and they're they're kind of a little. They can be a little obnoxious, but you know, whatever. But then the crosstown social comes, as I don't have a stake, really, you know, I don't have any sort of attachment one way or the other. You're like a you're like a medic. They don't shoot you in the war. (laughs) I'm like Switzerland, all right? I I refuse to you give de- money to both sides. I, I I I bank with both sides, but I don't I don't pick a side. But um how do you I someone who's a Sox super fan, I see violence in the streets. I see um you know naked aggression whenever the Crosstown uh, Classic or whatever happens. Um how do you deal with it? What do you what's what do you do you stay away? Do you get involved in the melee or what? I'm
10: right out there with my baseball bat. Mhm. I say, you, 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 does it come, have a spike in it? It's got 10 spikes in it, on it. A barbed wire baseball bat. I, say, mm-hmm. I sit on my stoop and I just wait to see that blue and red. <laughs> I see that blue and red. I see, I see it coming. I say, you better not walk 10 more feet northbound.
11: And how often do they walk 10 more feet northbound?
10: Most of the
3: time. Are, 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 Are
0: Lump and in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Schellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Schellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit (laughs) lumpenradio.com.